0: Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. My latest book is called Future Proof Yourself. And if you haven't got your copy yet, please go out and get it now. So today's podcast topic is very close to my heart because it's about the past, the present, and the future, I'm going to be chatting to futurist Bronwyn Williams. Bronwyn is a futurist, economist and business trends analyst. She has over a decade's experience in strategic management trend research and foresight. She consults to clients in the public and private sector across the African continent and is a partner at Blux Trends, where her research focuses on how macro socioeconomic trends and emerging technologies will impact businesses industries and nations in the near and long-term future. She's part economist, part strategist, and her particular areas of expertise include FinTech trends, alternative economic models, and sustainable future design. Her clients include the top 40 JSC listed companies, and she also guest lectures for leading business schools such as Duke, Gibbs, UCT, and the University of Johannesburg Somewhere in her very busy life, because she's also married and a mum, she is also the co-author of The Future Starts Now, which was published by Bloomsbury UK, and she is often in the media. Bronwyn is a member of the Association of Professional Futurists. Bronwyn, it's fabulous to have you on the Win at Work and Life podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thanks, Bronwyn. And as a futurist, I'm sure you are finding our disruptive world completely fascinating, while many of our listeners are probably finding themselves in between waves of fear, overwhelm, and even languishing in this very long COVID middle with no end in sight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people dislike change quite a lot. I think I'm quite strange in that I sort of crave it. I don't like things to stay the same. I don't like doing the same task even once or twice, which is why I have such a checkered career, which actually ends up being quite useful for my clients, because that's what we do. We bring a broad generalist perspective and an understanding of what's going on and what's where all those threads are coming from and connecting in the world at large. And we really just try and make sure that you can understand the world as it is, as ugly as it is, as beautiful it is, as glorious as it is, And you have to be able to do that in order to facilitate any sort of directional change going forward. If you don't understand the way things work, you cannot be confident in making good decisions about the future. And by good decisions, I'm not talking about ethically good decisions necessarily, although hopefully that's what you're doing, but effective decisions. So decisions that actually get you to where you want to be going. And that's the challenge that a lot of us find.
0: Mm. As you say that, I'm thinking about, you know, I use the word languishing, where people are caught sort of between a rock and a hard place at the moment, where they find it difficult to take action and move forward. And I know there are three words that, that you use on a regular basis at the moment that might be helpful to explain to people why they're feeling what they're feeling. And those three words are nostalgia, prostalgia, and nostalgia. Can you unpack that for us so that it's helpful for our listeners?
1: Sure. So let's start with nostalgia, which I think most of us understand. Nostalgia is essentially a hankering or a longing for a lost past, a past that we can't go back to. So it's a time that we felt happy or safe or secure. And for whatever reason, we feel that that lost past is better than our current present. Now, postalgia is a term coined by the science fiction writer William Gibson. And he coined it to really speak about the sense of lost futures. So that would be postalgia. So the sense of a future that we thought we were going to have, but then something happened. Someone we loved died. We lost a job. We lost some money. We lost our house. There was COVID. We were sent into lockdown. And all those plans that we had, all those dreams for this glorious future ahead are no longer available to us. So there's a sense of loss and mourning for a future that is no longer available to us. And then Mm. I started thinking about that and and that's great but we can get stuck in the past or we can get stuck in that lust feature and that's a very paralyzing condition because it's a it's a condition without agency we cannot go back in time and we cannot have what we are not going to be able to have in the future anymore but if we get stuck in that sense we can kind of become a drift in space and time and that's not a very healthy place to be that is a place of languishing as you say It's a place of being stuck and being paralyzed and feeling disempowered. Whereas postalgia, which is just another sort of a very cheesy spin on that word, it's saying we can then redevelop new futures for ourselves and develop proactive optimism, which is something that I've been speaking about quite a bit Because without optimism, we are very much stuck where we are right now. Without optimism, all of our worst fears become more likely to come into actuality. This is the harsh reality about how our expectations shape our reality. And we have to have that optimism to do anything. We have to have optimism to wake up in the morning and to make our bed. We have to believe there is something ahead of us us, worth doing and worth getting up for. So that's what I've been trying to talk to quite a lot of people about is to how to get out of this sense of complete paralysis due to external circumstances that we don't have control over, to be realistic, to mourn for those lost pasts and lost futures, but then to sort of put our big girl pants back on and get up and do something to go forward. Otherwise, what happens is we end up being swept up in other people's visions and plans for the future. And you mentioned that I would put together a book with a bunch of futurists from all across the world, and that was really the thesis of that book. that if you don't take directed steps to nudge the future in the direction that you actually want, the chances are you're going to end up in a future designed by someone richer, more powerful, just more well-connected than you are, and you will end up accelerating the odds of that vision coming to being, whether you like it or not. And as Terry Pratchett likes to say, and I absolutely love Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. it might not be your fault, but it is your responsibility, you know, to get up and to do something about it. Otherwise, you are going to be sucked up into a world that might not actually suit your objectives. Just
0: for our listeners, Terry Pratchett.
1: Um, the connection. Terry Pratchett is a he's a fantasy writer. He wrote, he's most well known for writing the Discworld series, which is a sort of a fant a comic fantasy satire world which pokes delightful fun at our politics, economics, philosophy, and general getting along with each other. I okay. highly recommend it.
0: So once again, bringing a little bit of humor and levity to what's quite a serious situation because it does, what we're going through at the moment is impacting on people's lives, their livelihoods, their, their future, um, and, and the way they see themselves, I think. And what you've been talking about is the fact that we always have a choice. And that's a theme that goes through my book, Future Proof Yourself which is very much about your mindset, how you see what you're going through and whether you're going to allow the circumstances that are impacting on you like right now to hold you as a prisoner or a victim of circumstance, or whether you are actually going to turn that around, reframe it and reauthor your life. So I love the analogy there that you were giving. Um, so right now, how can we bounce forwards into the future rather than kind of bouncing back with that nostalgia, looking to the past, wanting to go back to a normal that we understood, a normal that we felt we had control over. We're actually looking into the mists of the future and we don't 100% know what the future looks like. So what are you saying to clients in terms of bouncing forward?
1: Well, I think uh, there's been two sort of phrases that have stuck with me over the last sort of 18 months going into and hopefully coming out of COVID right now. The first one would be from Voltaire, who talks about in Candida, which is, of course, his very, very well known sort of satire, again, novel, always, always coming back to that combination of wit and wisdom seems to be a, a good way to have a self, healthy sense of humor about the the future. And, and what he wrote about there was that we should cultivate our own garden, and I think that's a very profound point to speak about right now. It's really speaking about do what you can with what you have and don't worry so much about what everyone else is doing. So There's a different way of saying sort of don't worry about the, the grass being greener on the other side of the fence but it's also more proactive because not only should we not be worrying too much about what other people are doing, we also need to be proactive about getting on there and cultivating our own garden. You know, plant those tomatoes, plant those seeds, do what you can with your own space and focus on your own knitting. Yeah, That's the one phrase that's really stuck with me right now.
0: I I picked Um, up that phrase years ago, il cultiver son jardin. I think that's what it's in French, my bad French. But look after your own garden. And what you're talking about is plant seeds for your own future. And even in gardens, if you think about it, there are seasons and we have to prune, we have to weed, we have to feed, uh, we have to pull right out sometimes when things no longer serve us. We have to pull things out of the garden and replace them with something else.
1: Yeah. And it's got work that goes with it. It's it's active. It's not a passive mindset to, to be in. So I thought that that's the first phrase that I think is very useful. It means like if, with, if whether you're in business or whether you're dealing with your personal life, you know, get your house in order, do what you can do, do the weeding in your office, make sure that you are, you investing in your employees to make sure they're going to grow in the future, that you are culling the, da- the woods. you know, getting rid of those projects that are distracting you, that are taking up time, work with your own house, get your house in order, get the basics right and become self-sustainable, which I think is hugely important. And again, you can sort of zoom that right out through a national level too, where we've seen with what's going on with global supply chains. It's so important to cultivate your own garden first, to make sure that we have robust local supply chains, that we have a local economy that is thriving, that has consumers that are able to buy things and businesses that are able to make things without relying on outsiders all the time. So it is very much a sense of developing your own sort of being pragmatic about taking charge of your own future and not being a helpless victim as well. So I think there's a lot of ways to unpack that very, very short statement that you say in French much better than I will try and embarrass myself in doing. Not
0: very well, but anyway,
1: you remind me of
0: something that I talk about, and that is that we have to prepare for what if moments, because every life, every business, nothing unfolds in a straight line. Not ever, we think we're in control, but actually we aren't. But we need, need to do that scenario planning for a what if moment. And I'm just thinking right now of Christmas coming up and I know you have a, a young daughter and this is the time of year where there's newness in the toy market, where there's lots of new product landing. And there's a massive issue at the moment in that particular industry because the shipping lanes were completely disrupted with COVID, with lockdown, and, and containers are sitting in the wrong ports, and they have to be shifted in order to be filled, in order to be shipped down to places like the southern tip of Africa, and so we're looking at uh, you know toy supplies for Christmas being delayed, um, marketing plans gone out the window. I mean, it's actually chaos out there. Let alone the fact that the shipping costs have doubled.
1: In some places, gone up ten tenfold to get a container from the US to Asia you know, around the back there, not asked that have the groups yet, increased tenfold over yeah. the last year. Have so you budgeted that into your plans, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know,
0: so you've used the word sustainable and local supply chains and not being completely trapped into things that you really have no control over. So finding different ways to support your business, to support yourself so that you are more sustainable than you currently have been.
1: Yeah, remembering that, but points of agency too, right? So agency is something that if you don't use it, you lose it. And part of that agency would be deferring to things that are easier. you know, Globalized supply chains, economies of scale, platform-based service operators, they give you great efficiency and great economies of scale, but you lose a whole lot of resilience. I think the last year has reminded us that we need to invest in resilience as well as in speed and efficiency because there, there's a trade-off over there. So I think it all comes back to that—that that little garden of yours, you know, cultivate your little garden. But there's a second quote that I think that's also sort of comes from from one of those those older gentlemen of the past but I think also sums up the time that where we are quite well. And that would be Saint Augustine talking about hope and saying hope has two beautiful daughters, courage and anger. And I think that's very profound too because this speaks to actually what you do with your agency. If you want to be hopeful about the future, if you want to break past that nostalgia and all the rest of it, you have to do something about it. And that might mean getting angry about what's going on in the world. There's lots of injustice at the moment. There's lots of things that are going wrong. There's lots of things that are making you feel helpless. But anger is not necessarily a bad thing. And people get very scared of the word anger, but anger is a feeling. It's a feeling that actually is a courses through your body and that can't be morally wrong. It's what you end up doing with it, right? So it's the anger to to notice what's wrong. And then you also need the courage to go ahead and do something about it. And that's that's a harder conversation to the cultivate your garden piece. But I kind of put the two together and say, sort of tend your garden and then defend it, right? So we have to we have to be a bit brave at the moment too. And if you're in business, that means you have to be brave about going out there and developing a new business model, doing the, the pivoting or whatever the Harvard Business Review sort of term you want to look at there is so you have to go out and be a bit aggressive too. And not aggressive in a, in a violent way again, but aggressive in a courageous way. And I think we need to reclaim a lot of that because so many of us have been told for so long that standing up for ourselves and that being proactive is somehow a bad or a naughty thing. And I want to encourage people that could actually be a good thing, much like old Aristotle went with his ethics. Like, ethics is in the balance. It's not in either of the extremes. An extreme passivity is no more of a virtue than, you know, extreme aggression is. We need to find that, that mean and that balance and reclaim our agency and be proactive and firm about what we want going forward and also firm about our boundaries again, which again, that comes back to that garden metaphor, guarding our time, guarding our energy, making sure that we are looking after ourselves and our own, not by sort of doing being destructive to anyone else either, but quite often centering ourselves has to come first if we do want to be directed about where we headed next, not just to be a leaf blown around in the sort of the whims of time and whoever is the most powerful voice in the room at the moment.
0: Hmm. The phrase that comes up for me listening to you is constructive aggression, that one needs to take one's aggression, irritation, upset, anger, uh, devastation, disillusionment, all those negatives that come up when we go through change and disruption, because we're actually going through a time of grief and loss of having to let go of the past and having to embrace and invent a new future. And uh, we've got to do that with intention and with an expectation that we might not know what it looks like, but we might find ourselves incredibly surprised. And for me, the word curiosity is incredibly important uh, to get to the place of hope, is to be curious about the future. You've got to be courageous, as you said, put your big girl panties on, but you also need to be curious about the adventure of not knowing what the future looks like and the fact that you're collaborating and co-creating it with every choice you make and every action you take. You were talking about boundaries, uh, you know, looking after your garden in terms of your time, your energy. So self-care is something that has come to the top, has floated to the top during this pandemic. And when you talk to organizations and corporates, they're worried about burnout, they're worried about, you know, self-care, and there's, there's lots of programs now around self-care. How much do you think uh, where we find ourselves is going to have the potential to rewrite the human resources playbook? Because you mentioned, you know, you don't want to be a leaf just blowing around in the wind. I think that this is a good thing, that we're getting to a place where individuals Are having to start exercising self-leadership in terms of their careers and making more conscious choices rather than being that that leaf that's blowing around in the wind at somebody else's whim what's your comment on that
1: well i think that's a very important point to make that it is about choices and a choice has some sort of architecture to it a choice defines constraints that we have to choose And there are trade-offs and I think that the rest of the world is figuring out what women have figured out for a very very long time and that is we can't actually have everything we have to make choices you can have a career and kids but you're not going to have all the experiences that a stay-at-home mother will have with your kid if you have a career this is a reality we can pretend that this is not a reality we can tell women that you can have absolutely everything But then we get into points of burnout, right, when you're trying to do, trying to fulfill all these different roles 24-7 a day. I think that everyone, even people that have not had children, even people that are not not having to deal with those sort of motherhood type constraints, are figuring out these trade-offs. And in essence, the trade-off that we're redefining in the world of work and HR is this trade-off between freedom and security. And I've been going on about that quite a lot because I think it's an important metaphor for what's going on in society too, whether it's how we deal with things like COVID and pandemics, whether it's how we deal with financial insecurity, and whether it's how we deal with our careers, we are having to make choices between those two poles. And for most of us, for most of our natural lives that we've been here on the planet, for the time of our grandparents were going through their careers, our parents and ourselves, The trade-off erred quite strongly on the security side of the freedom versus security dynamic when it came to our careers essentially the game was you had to persuade one person one hiring manager to hire you so it was a it was a hard task but you had to do it once all you had to do was convince one guy to give you a salary and in theory at least you were kind of you were on the ladder you could be set for life unless you screwed things up but in exchange you got a fixed salary. So you had security. You knew you were gonna get paid at the end of the of every month. But in exchange, you gave up a whole lot of freedom. You gave up a lot of your time because you've been paid for your time in that dynamic. You were paid to be in the office at eight o'clock and in South Africa, typically leaving at four or five, and you were paid to spend hours in traffic on either end of that day. But in exchange for giving up all that freedom, all those days, Monday to Friday, of your life, you got that to security what we've seen now as we have been forced to experiment with things like remote work and freelancing and job sharing and four-day work weeks, which actually just ends up being almost a bit of a salary cut for many of us and all these different ways of, of trying to sort of spread the risk of what's happened. We are finding that we are having less security as employees and employers, on the other hand, are also having less control over their staff, because there's a, there was a trade there, right? You paid someone for their time and they gave you their time. That was how our salaries were premised. But now when you have employees that are working from home and there've been many studies that have shown that many people are actually doing two or three jobs now on the side, right? Because now sure. you don't have a boss watching you. So you've actually, you've signed two contracts. But well, you've well, not, two contracts.
0: <laughs> and not just that, not just that, there's the requirement to have multiple streams of income because we yeah. live in a disruptive world. So to
1: diversify your risk. Because the security equation has gone off. Okay. But the whole equation is, is, is frayed, right? So on the one hand, we're not getting as much security on our, in our income. But we're getting more freedom. But we haven't redefined what this new contract is going to look like. And right now, it's not working for anyone. Because the employee has far less security than is required for a world that still requires you to get paid every month because rent is paid in our systems once a month. Bonds have to be paid every month. Your bank manager who's got the bond on your house does not care that you're now a freelancer and you earn two months and then you have nothing in the third month. So we have a problem there. So that's why employees, as you say, try to juggle more things and try to start hides side hustles and do the rest of it. But at the same time, inadvertently, they're making that original trade-off even more complicated. Because now your employer who's paying you for your time says, wait a minute, You know I'm paying you for your time, but you are now expecting to, be, to deliver work on outcome, but you still want to get paid an income. And there's going to be a reckoning where that gets redefined. And what we really are seeing is that's already happening, that employment contracts to compensate for the fact that risk is now accumulating on the employer side, not equally distributed towards the employee side in terms of that original contract, we've seen those contracts being redefined in two ways. Firstly, by more onerous surveillance and control. That's the one option in that employers will start to put cameras into your house to make sure and, and start logging your keys on your screen and make sure that you are actually working for the eight hours that you've been paid for because you have a time-based contract. That doesn't seem very comfortable. That's not a great sort of future we're looking at, but that's the sort of future we're building at a political level. I mean, we are giving up huge amounts of our personal freedom and privacy in exchange for ever more tenuous increases in our so-called sort of security in terms of our social contract at a national level. But that's not necessarily the sort of control, trustless based is maybe not the, the best option we could be looking at. But something has to give. So the other way that we're seeing the other world order we kind of seeing emerging there is a much more trust-based world order that is based on outcomes, not based on set incomes. So here, instead of being paid a salary in exchange for your time, so a fixed amount of money for a fixed amount of time, we now focus on the output and you get paid for your output. And If you do your tasks in three hours or in three days, you get paid the same amount of money. So you get paid for your output, much like freelancers and contractors and businesses are paid for completing tasks, not just for logging hours. And in exchange, the employer then has, a, has less commitments in terms of what they pay out every month, but they're also making sure that, you know, that, that, that trade-off is being realigned. Again, this doesn't work for everyone because as I mentioned earlier, many of us require some degree of financial security. And there's a reason why so many of our parents and grandparents were happy to sign away their time and to file into the office and log their their time sheets in exchange for that fixed financial security. We just have to understand that there's a trade-off here, and that the sort of jobs and career opportunities you're going to have before are going to force you to make a choice along that continuum. If you're going to have more freedom, you're going to have less financial security. If you're going to have more financial security, you're going to have less freedom. And companies are going to be forced to demand even more in terms of that freedom in order to make sure that they're getting what they pay for, because companies are amoral institutions. <laughs> you know, like we might have a nice bus, but we have to understand that the business in general, our overall economies are set up based on incentives. And as those incentives change, our choices are going to change with it and on very extreme ends. We can see what's happening in the in the sort of distributed autonomous enterprise whole arena. Everything is going on with blockchain and crypto. Those organizations are not set up with shareholders and employees. They set up with token holders and token holders are incentivized to increase the value of that token. No one's paid a salary. You're entirely on your own. You work hard. You you make more money. You don't. You You earn nothing. And that's the sort of extreme end of the, the shift from jobs to work and from incomes to outcomes. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, good. You have to start thinking about this and start making some of those choices. Where do you want to land up? What are you prepared to give in exchange for what you want to get?
0: So we can have it all, but we can't have it all at the same time. That's (laughs) the message that I share, particularly with women. You can absolutely have it all, uh, but not at the same time. And we have to learn to live with the paradox of being human, the ambiguity, which you were alluding to in terms of, you know, freedom and security. You know, you can have both, but you're not going to have them in the same proportion, depending on. You can't have hundred
1: percent of both. No. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And that all boils down to choice. And when you were talking about uh, crypto and uh, the fact that companies are not, I mean, companies were never built for for people, they were built for profit. And I don't think that that has really changed. For me, millennials have been quite an amazing um, red light flashing for us. You know, so often, people talk about oh, millennials, you know, they, they just want fun, and they don't want to work hard. And, you know, they, they think that work is hard work you know there must be more to work to life than work and i'm quite grateful to millennials for actually shining the light on that but as you've just alluded to we can have these amazing lives of meaning and you know rich experiences and whatever but there is a trade there is a trade if you don't want to be locked into eight or ten hours of working every day because you want different experiences and you've got to have multiple streams of income or you've got to be prepared to earn less or have less security, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's the, that shift from micromanagement to self-leadership has been coming for a long time, a long, long time. We've actually become very dependent on the organization that has employed us. Um, we, we haven't been running our own race, so to speak, because when the organization says, this is what you've got to learn next, this is what you've got to do next in order to jump through that hoop, the organization has plotted our career trajectory rather than the individual taking control of their career. And I think we are going to see an about face in that situation. But it all boils down to what you said, and it's about the choices we're prepared to make and what that choice either gives us
1: or doesn't. Yeah, and I think I'd add something to that too, in that the choice for us right now is quite different to the choice that our grandparents had. And this is because back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Finding that choosing the, the security option over the freedom option was almost a no-brainer because the security option was really secure. You know, you were much less likely to be retrenched or to have your business disappear overnight. I mean, we know the, those sort of, again, those Harvard Business Review sort of statistics that say the half-life of a company 100 years ago was, you know, 100 years, but the half-life of a company today is something like 15, which is incredible, right? So, now the trade-off is not quite so clear-cut. Choosing to be the office worker to climb the corporate ladder to take that sort of planned career is no longer a guarantee of safety. Our economies are much more interconnected. They move much faster. Industries come and go much faster. Businesses come and go much faster. Even if you are trying to, collect that whole sort of 20-year, 30-year career with the the golden handshake at the end and the cruise and the retirement before you die and all that that sort of life plan.
0: That sounds like a whole other world.
1: (laughs) It's a whole other world. Where do you find that today? What job can you go into that's going to guarantee you a salary? Now, there are still some. And if that's really something you want and and you really do want that secure lifespan and and all the rest of it, Maybe you should be looking to do something like corporate law and to get into one of those big old firms and just sort of work your way up there. There's still gaps. I'm not saying that's going to be an option for my children or in another 10 or 20 years, but there's still places. There's still pockets where you can where you can have that journeyman type career, but they're getting less and less. So for many of us we are going to be forced into the freedom end of the scale, whether we like it or not. I think that's a harder conversation, but it's a conversation that If we don't have it, it doesn't go away. I I think think it's an essential
0: conversation because if you think about the fact that uh, companies themselves or large employers themselves are also discovering that they don't actually have to employ people full time. If you can get good people through the gig economy, through the on-demand economy to do output work without having to give them real estate, without having to pay medical aid, UIF, uh, group risk cover, and all those things that come with employing somebody. Why would you employ somebody full-time if you don't have to? Once again, there's a trade-off for a company in terms of I own this person, I feel more secure. So you might have key people who who are uh, in those real kind of full-time jobs. But in 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 my view from where I sit, being an entrepreneur and many people are opening their own businesses because it is the way of the future. And if you don't have secure employment, you might have two or three different businesses that you run. We can't afford to employ people full-time. We don't want to take the risk of employing people full-time. So we buy in skills as and when we need them, and we don't carry the overhead. And that entrepreneurial thinking, I think, will start filtering more and more into larger organizations as they realize that they can actually get A lot of what they need without that commitment
1: exactly but then we then we still have a schooling and education system that is still giving the message to young people that they're going to have a career rather than have to find a place where they add value to society and i think that's a huge indictment on all of us that we're still setting young people up for expectations that they are not going to find I mean, that's of course the, the cheesy equation, right? Sort of happiness is the difference between your reality minus your expectations and woe betide any society where the expectations component is higher than the reality component. We know what happens there. I think we've got a quite a big problem there if we keep on telling or, or at least we're not, even, not even necessarily telling young people that they've got this career waiting for them in the future, just not telling them that it's not going to happen, that perhaps they should be looking for something else. Our universities are premised on that, right? You know, like we, we've sold this dream to generations of first generation to go to university saying, get the degree and you're going to be just fine. And uh, we need to rethink those messaging (laughs) like really quickly.
0: A hundred percent, because when you consider that our young people will probably live to be over a hundred, one qualification is certainly not going to set you up for success for 80 years. And we need a continuous learning journey. And I often say to young people, you're not entitled to anything until you first add value, which speaks to what you've just said, is we need to set our our young people up to find their place in society where they can add value and be paid for it. And it's not going to be a single career. It's going to be a portfolio of jobs that is going to create an interesting sort of tapestry of experience. And it's your experience... That is going to make you valuable to other businesses and other employers in the future because you've had rich diverse experience you've been able to showcase x factors for success because even some of the biggest companies in the world are dropping that degree filter and employing for attitude and training for skills so we've got to have we've got to be teachable we've got to be trainable Because so much is changing and and have that open mindedness that I'll adapt. I'll embrace whatever's coming along. I'll learn what I need to learn. I'll plug myself into wherever I need to plug myself into at the time, which is a very different mindset, as you say, to selling somebody on the fact that you're going to get a career. And in fact, even some of our young people who have some of the top qualifications who you would think could find jobs in their 30s to 35s are not finding that perfect job that they're after and are still at home with their parents. And this is an issue. In fact, we've got to start somewhere. It might not be the perfect place. And you and I were on a roundtable conversation recently where we were talking about the fact that Going back to what I said, life doesn't unfold in a straight line. We don't necessarily go from A to B and all the way through in order to Z anymore. Sometimes you go from A to H to D to Z to X to B. And that's the way it is. And we actually need to enjoy wherever it is we find ourselves right now and ask, how can I grow from this? How can I learn from this? And what can I do with this now? So we're actually on this continuous path of reinvention you've never arrived there are always endings and new beginnings and that is what disruption brings and you were talking about you know constructive aggression i want to say maybe disruption agitates us out of our comfort zone so that we look at things with fresh eyes and we are open to new possibilities that we would never have seen before had that disruption not have appeared in our lives and for that we need to be grateful uh, for change and disruption, no matter how uncomfortable it is, it does have the capacity to break us open and plant us in a new way. So there's no room for stagnation. And I think that, that for me, I mean, that's what you and I have in common is that we, we hate stagnation. We, we, don't like, uh, we don't like it when things get so regular that there's no growth. Um, we, we understand that if there's discomfort, then there's often growth. But that's quite hard for some people to swallow.
1: It is. And it's also exhausting, right? I mean, you feel like you're never going to have a chance to rest, right? Because when you're switching from a world where you sort of went for your audition, you got your job and you sort of settled in and, you know, only had to worry about it in five years when you wanted to get yourself a raise by switching companies. Now you've got to make friends with many, many strangers on the internet and convince many of them to give you money all the time just to sort of keep, Keep going, right? You gotta, you gotta make ten thousand friends. You gotta sell five thousand Substack subscriptions, and then you, then you're gonna kind of work, and then you, then you're not gonna be popular again, and you gotta reinvent the wheel. That's hugely exhausting, and I think many people are scared of that for a good reason. But I think that there are ways around that to start planning periods of pause throughout the journey, rather than looking forward to one long pause when you get into retirement, and then very quickly sort of, you know, run out of the world to live because you've got nothing really to live for, which is a, the darker side of that old sort of very security orientated post-industrial sort of era knowledge economy dynamic that we had. The new one allows us more flexibility. And I think that we do need to allow ourselves time for pause. And if you are an organization or an employer, you should also be encouraging time for pause within your staff. So encouraging those mini sabbaticals, encouraging, you know, those those breaks that people can reorientate themselves spread out across the course of your life. And that also breaks the whole task, which seems so overwhelming, which is You'll work forever, right? I mean, you have to be adding value forever, that's overwhelming. On but that if you can have something to look forward to, you're like, Okay, no, we're going to do three years, then we're going to take three months, you know, and yes. then we'll then we can reorientate. Just give yourself something to look forward to, build those pauses in. I think yeah. pauses are quite important. I think you've written about that too. That sometimes yes. it's just so.
0: Essential. I think we have to have gaps for growth, and a gap for growth could be a week, it could be a month, it could be six months, it could be a year. But that speaks to the fact that we actually have to get our finances in order from as early as possible. Because it's one thing if you are in an organization that gives you a sabbatical where you are paid to be off for six months or whatever it is. But it's an entirely different thing if you have to fund that period of voluntary retirement, for want of a better phrase, Uh, whether that be a week, a month or a year. And you have to be able to tide yourself over. So you're already building that into your financial planning that you think that every whatever it is, every 10 years, you need to take a year off to reinvent yourself. Or maybe it's every year you're going to take a week or a month um, because you know that to remain relevant, you've got to go within, you've got to do research, you've got to read, or maybe you've just got to stop. Uh, That's another thing. I think so much of our mindset is do, do, do. And there is space for being and for really letting everything percolate through you. And that's where we, we go to that lovely phrase of finding meaning. I think what we're doing with work now is we're trying to create meaningful experiences for ourselves, not just hard work, but meaningful experiences versus I want to create a life of meaning. Uh, that's kind of that wishful thinking but creating meaningful experiences means that you actually have to work at it and you have to there's a lot of doing and there's a lot of planning but I think the 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 fear factor that you've alluded to in terms of this security versus freedom is cash flow it all boils down to who's going to pay the bills at the end of every month which probably then leads us to talking about the fact that our expectations of our material possessions needs to change moving into the future. Are we going to have fewer people owning homes and cars? Are we going to have a more flexible economy where people are more nimble, more flexible because it will be a rental economy so that they can change at will? What are you foreseeing there?
1: So you do allude to that, and that is important. It is something that I look at quite a lot. We have shifted a lot from an ownership economy towards an access rentier type economy, but I'm not convinced that that's a solution for any of our problems. But many of the reasons why we have this access pay-as-you-go rental economy are because we've, we've essentially got an economy based on debt, which is, an, as soon as you've got an economy based on debt, you have an economy that requires growth just to keep going. This is the the sort of the dirty little secret of the trade-offs that we've made for ourselves. Again, it's always trade-offs. We've decided to improve our, our quality of living as a generation, a global generation, but at the expense of essentially future generations. We've essentially been eating a little bit of tomorrow's lunch today as a society. And because of that, prices are continually increasing. It becomes harder and harder to get onto the property ladder. And that means that real resource wealth concentration ends up in fewer and fewer hands. When that gets sold to us is you don't need to own a car you can have an uber you don't need to own a house you can just rent And isn't that great you've got so much freedom and flexibility to run around the world but there's a catch and the catch is that the divide between the very very wealthy and everyone else grows because ownership is correlated with real wealth over the long run and i think that that's an important lesson for us to learn as individuals when we're planning our financial future that as long as we are sort of paying as we go with our lifestyle, we're not actually building up a nest egg. And if you want to have those moments of pause, whether it's a wonderful retirement at the end of your life or many sabbaticals throughout, you have to start saving. And saving means you have to actually buy stuff or put money away. You have to actually stash your nuts like the little squirrel, right? Now you have invest. to put something away. And access, a pay-as-you-go sort of lifestyle doesn't really give you space to do that unless you're very, very conscious about accumulating some stuff, developing a store and a stock to fall back on. So I would encourage you to think about those choices and the the trade-offs involved in every time we're choosing access over ownership. And I think it's an important point to just sort of drill down into a little bit more in that only owners have a say over the future of whatever is being owned, renters don't. And I think this is incredibly important from a financial wellness perspective to understand. When you own a share in a company, when you invest in a portfolio, you have a stake over the the future of that organization that you've invested in. You have rights that come with ownership, right? You have rights to vote at those shareholder meetings. Also, just by simply putting your cash into that company, you are fueling that company with capital that will be used to increase that company's odds of success going forwards. Likewise, likewise, when you sort of own a property or a house in your country, whether that's South Africa or the UK or wherever you are, you're buying a piece of that land. You're buying a stake in the future there. And by buying that stake, you have a vested interest in making sure that the society that supports that piece of land can improve in the future. A society based purely on where 99% of people are only ever having access or paying for access and renting as they go along is not a society that's vested in the future of that society. It's a society where real power is concentrated in those that do have ownership over that, whether that's in a more literal or a more figurative way. That's a that's a sort of point that I like to make quite a lot because like it ties into features, it comes back to cultivating our own garden over there. Yeah, I'm talking about your own garden, not sort of Cultivating your landlord's garden that he can sort of kick you out of in two months' time, so you don't have to think about this purely literally. Think about it quite figuratively too. Like, what are you what are you investing in? What are you actually owning with regards to your future? And what are you just sort of borrowing? with what's transience and what's what are you investing in to be more permanent in your life going forward?
0: Mm, I think that's a wonderful place to leave our conversation, Bronwyn, and you've reminded us that we need to look after our own gardens and that requires many many choices choices around freedom versus security enabling us to take those moments of pause from time to time and that that really requires investment both in ourselves and investment of our money into assets that are going to grow over time and all of this really points to taking action that you can't move forward through disruption without actually being active in your own process. So thank you for reminding us that we are actually both hunters and gatherers still in some way, shape or form, hunting for those new opportunities, but needing to gather some of those assets so that uh, we can actually rely on them and have a say because we have ownership and we have agency in our future. Thank you for giving us so much of your time and your insights. We could have carried on this conversation for another hour or two, so we'll have to have you back at some stage. Do you have any closing comments and how can our listeners get hold of you and get hold of your book?
1: Yeah, so I'll just repeat what I said earlier, look after your garden, tend your own garden, defend your own garden and claim your agency. Because if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. If you want to get hold of me, you can get hold of me through fluxfriends.com, which is where I work with Dion Chang and we help organizations understand the world so they can change it from a proactive point of view. Otherwise, if you want to get hold of me personally, I'm quite easy to find on Twitter and all the various social media platforms under Bronwyn Williams.
0: Thank you again, Bronwyn, and to our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickibush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.